another fine skirmish into the unknown, wouldn't you say, my prince? Oh, quite right, the Grand Inquisitor. I haven't taken such gratification in eliminating Flactonian Hammer Queens since I don't know when I last did it. Indeed, no. Those bastards threw us directly into that ailing nightmare without a second thought for man nor beast. Would you not say? Quite rightly, I absolutely would say, and lots more besides. Say, have you taken heed of the recent convergence among the scepters of Algrim? Forsooth, how could I have dismissed it when all of our futures, both past and present, rely upon that very endeavour? Those bastards inside Orgrim have no regard for the sanctity of mortal power, raising their chambers to the divine crucible, such as they do. I wouldn't make haste along that road, Inquisitor. Words may not echo forever, but we decay with every second of wasted time. By which I mean to imply that our blacksmith yonder is casting a cheerfully vacant expression in our direction. You know, Mojave is always the best value. For once you may be correct, my prince. Cheerfully vacant indeed is the merchant who is forced to barter with us each day, relinquishing our satchels of all manner of sparkling metals. And rightly so, given the hoard we have amassed. The Flactonian thirst for our regalia is truly ponderous. It is a wonder we are able to retrieve it in such good condition, and return it vis-a-vis -vis our friend to the outfit the third armada. We are following patterns of extraordinary lines in the sand, even as we speak. Come, my prince, let us unburden ourselves, so that we may once more fill our packs asunder. Hello there, friend. Please, browse my words. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Pixel Vision. My name's Taya. Mate, that sounded so dry. You sounded bored of your own podcast. <laughs> right, welcome everyone to another episode. I'm not, I'm not bored of my own podcast. I'm really excited about having my own podcast. Get a bit of upbeat energy with it. Hello and all welcome. Right, all right, all right. Okay, well anyway, we've, uh, we've kicked off. Usually, if I remember rightly, you do your little... Oh, my little game summary. Yeah, I love doing this bit now. I really look forward to it every time. Do you? Uh, yeah, yeah. Have you been practising? No, no, I haven't practised it. Um, but I try on purpose not to practise it, so it comes out completely natural on the pod. I love that you try not to practise. Yeah, it takes some effort. <laughs> so, Walson, Lords of Mayhem, is a isometric... It's probably not isometric, but it's a top-down action role-playing game in the model of Diablo or a game like that, where there's a campaign that you go through uh, and there's plenty of loot to pick up along the way and you improve your character, you improve their equipment and you do that over and over and over and over and over again for as long as you're interested in the game. Is that a fair description? I think that is a fair description. Um, and I would say that the last kind of sentence sums up the issue, the main issue with the game, I would say, actually. Um, um, and what's that? Well, that you do it for as long as you're interested in the game. And it does become quite repetitive. But I don't want to skip to the end. Uh, so let's kick off with the plot, shall we? Yeah. It's pretty straightforward, linear story. You're, um, you're part of like a republic and there's other countries in the game world which aren't a part of your republic but you're you're led to believe that you're part of quite a powerful faction and that you're quite a powerful person within that faction so you're one of the three uh, children of heimlock who's the grand inquisitor of um of that place oh yeah what's his name again heimlock yeah, yeah, yeah. heimlock or hemlock maybe i'm not sure how it's pronounced yeah it probably is hemlock isn't it mm. 
As but in like the clearly it's got that um that mitchin and web thing like are we the good guys like right from the beginning your arm has got all spikes on it and it's like hmm, not so sure we are against the demons but are we actually that much better than them you will burn republican trash <laughs> It's quite funny because I feel like your description straight away went into um, the Republic, the nature of the institution they're a part of, and mine that I'd written down in my notes is someone mysteriously appears in an early battle, awakens some inner power, and your main character then sets out destroying everything in their path to find their ancestry. Yeah, I mean, you are the chosen one in the game. Of course you are. So it has always been with uh, computer game plot lines. Yeah, yeah. But it is a bit of a kind of looking for answers MacGuffin, isn't it? It's like you start and mm. you don't know, have you been used by some demon? Are you being possessed? Or is this your own power that you control? And then you've got yeah, all yeah, kinds yeah. of words so on and to so describe forth. what you are. Yeah, exactly. And then save the world. <laughs> yeah. Do they call you one of the awakened or one of the enlightened? The or ascended. Oh, the ascended. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Got your yeah. memory for details quite good, too. The Ascended, though, like the words that you came up with would have been the more cliched versions of that. But the reason why I love the dialogue so much and one of the things I tried to sort of take on in that script <laughs> was like it always um, reaches for, for cliches, but never quite copies them completely. Mm. So it's always like a version of a cliche rather than the actual cliche itself, which I think is really charming. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, it does feel like a lot of effort's gone into it. Mm. It doesn't feel like someone just threw it together by copying a load of other stuff, mm. even though it is it is derivative. Permission to deal with the players. The clock ticks, Malis. We need to get through to engage the Brotherhood of Dawn before daybreak. We won't make it in time if we're pinned down. And one of the most impressive things about it, actually, is that it was made by a really small studio. A new studio as well. Walson Studio set up specifically for this because it's a Kickstarter, right? Ah, was it? Yeah, I think I did actually read that somewhere. But yeah, like the studio is massive. When it gets to the credit sequence at the end, the number of people involved... Well, I mean, I say the studio is massive. The number of people involved is massive. Obviously, the studio is not. It's... Mm, less than 30 people I read somewhere, but I don't know how accurate that is. Really? What, doing all the coding and stuff? Yeah, which is super inspiring for like aspiring game dev such as myself i just think that's amazing yeah that is cool um although they have come into a lot of criticism as well oh, um, for having like yeah yeah so like i think both of us got away with playing the game after it was released so it's been in beta um for ages mm. i'm not sure if it was a steam early access or if it was just beta i, I assume it was some sort of early access yeah it was early access for for a year or two for sure and I think a lot of the people playing it during that time encountered, as you probably would expect given it's an early access game, like a shed ton of bugs, often game-breaking bugs and like changes in really, really frequent patches that were like the entire game file to re-download to change something really minor, all that kind of stuff, mm. which has actually happened a little bit since release as well. Like the number of patches they release is crazy, or it certainly was to begin with, mm. but a lot of people encountered game-breaking bu bugs really quickly and changes to their build when they'd already leveled up and like spent ages building it. And then I guess just adjustments that you'd expect a game to make in the QA phase. Mm. And I think a lot of people felt that it, that was wasting their time. Because um, it's got, when you look at reviews online, a lot of them will be mixed. People like myself got lucky, didn't really encounter any games, loved the actual game, loved playing through it. I'll say that up front. But at the same time, if you were someone who 
you know, played the exact same game, but just got unlucky and found a game-breaking bug, you would be so frustrated and you would hate it. And so you've got this outpouring of love and this outpouring of absolute bile <laughs> and the two are meeting in the mi- in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was some criticism that the game developers were just a bit inexperienced and that kind of stuff. But mm. I don't think that necessarily really comes across that much in the game. There are elements where I think it does, but... Yeah, there are small little details of it. Just like really small things, like the text size on all the items and the way things are listed, I feel like could be like, obviously each item has a bunch of different stats um, and those the kinds of stats that you want to optimize on or get good on your character depend on the type of build you've created for your character, which we'll get onto later. And there's actually quite a lot of um, customization options available. Um, but yeah, it's not even considering that's quite a big part of the hook of the game. It's not made as easy as it could be to really like, see what is better or worse than than other things Mm. i didn't think what do you think no i agree with you i definitely agree with you Mm. and in fact i think that's i i also think that's where a lot of whether it's inexperience or whether it's just the way they've done it but there can be some confusion especially when they're describing skills and describing stats like one of the things I've noticed is they use this really bizarre way of phrasing where they'll say a three percent increase to decrease and you're thinking, what the hell is that? that, but that is confusing. Did you not on the on the willpower generation? It'll say like plus six percent decrease to increase willpower generation and stuff like that. <laughs> and you're thinking, what? That's so confusing. Yeah, and you don't want it to be like you don't want that system to be so simple that the player has to put no thought into it at all because then it's just boring. Yeah, like it's it's boring if it just if you hover over, over an item, it just says this is like objectively better than the thing you already have, so equip it. Because then you really are just playing a game where you um, hold the mouse button down and everything dies until you get better and your levels go up. Like you're watching numbers go up like a, a cookie clicker or something. So it, it, yeah. in a way, it's nice that you do have to put some work in to figure out what is better or worse. But like we said, it shouldn't be obfuscated to that degree. Although I agree with you in principle, but the volume of loot makes that really hard. Oh, yeah. I mean... The number of loot drops is insane. Almost everything, especially when you mm. get to higher levels, everything's dropping blues and yellows. So so the loot hierarchy is roughly the same as in other things. White is common. Um, blue. There isn't a green, but then blue is... Blue um, is green. <laughs> yeah blue is green <laughs> or blue is sort of a common drop slash rare and in inverted commas we've all been schooled at world of warcraft here yeah exactly um and then yellow is rarer than that again uh until it goes through to orange well sort of orangey red is meant to be mm-hmm. like legendary loot and then there are also unique item drops um which is i guess just another way of describing legendary loot <laughs> um and they're purple yeah which are purple yeah part of the problem and i find this with so many of these kind of games is that the, all of those subcategories lose their meaning because what's common pretty soon isn't common. Like white drops are, end up being no more common than yellow drops. <laughs> um, and everything under yellow rapidly becomes junk. Like you stop even bothering to look at the stats on blues. Really. Yeah, why does it need to exist? Yeah, exactly. Mm. I mean, they could actually just have a junk class, get rid of a whole load of loot. Yeah, it's, it, it's, a, it's an interesting game mechanic isn't it because you can see they're reaching for that dopamine hit that you get when you get a a new piece of loot or a new piece of like a piece of equipment in a game but they give you so much and so much of it is junk that i 
feel like it doesn't it, the the dopamine hit didn't quite hit for me just on a like biological level like it does with some other games like the pacing was a little bit off yeah with that with that loot cycle but also i think because as as we kind of alluded to already it is hard to to determine sometimes whether an item that's dropped is better for you than the existing mm. item you've got and because you can't determine it from the skills because the descriptions are a bit kooky or whatever you end up just um well i i did this thing where i'd I'd just load up my character sheet and the detailed description look at the stats that i want to improve and then swap the item see if it boosted those stats and if it did keep it which i mean is such a clunky way to determine whether loot is good for your character you (laughs) should be able to almost at a glance be like oh this attribute's improved therefore it's better Mm -hmm. but that didn't seem to be the case and and another issue with loot is that the higher level it was, again, in theory, you should get better loot. But in practice, I found stuff that was level 21 or lower that I ended up using way into the end game, like level 60. Yeah, same. Um, just because the later drops were just inferior. Mm. And that's really bizarre mechanic. I found I found a unique, which was so awesome, made me, made me feel like an absolute badass when I was about level 18. But then I was still using that unique when I was level 50. I'm thinking, surely, you know, in the time spent playing, you'd have received yeah. a better unique by then. Exactly the same thing happened to me. I was really thankful for that uh, unique stuff, which I found, though. I was very fond of it. Sad, sad to yeah. to sell it by the end. Well, and also, it begins to feel like you actually wouldn't be able to play as effectively if you didn't have those kind of overpowered weapons to begin mm-hmm. with. Because, I mean, we haven't really got there yet, but basically the other thing about the plot is it's um, divided into three acts. So the first act is kind of you discovering what's what's going on. Your inner power is awakened. The second act is you delve more into the cult of the sleeper, which is the kind of demonic cult that is trying to bring teleport demons to the world, mm-hmm. <laughs> as far as I could tell. And the third act is where you uncover some twists. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Confront your own then, demons, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Confront your own demons. Yeah, exactly. And... That's fine as a storytelling structure, but each act finishes with a boss, and the bosses, as Teo will attest to, are disproportionately difficult to everyone. Yeah, special thanks has to go to, to Ben on this podcast for helping me with every single one of the bosses in this game, because <laughs> it is online co-op, and every time I hit a boss, I just was like, ah, oh, I'm not enjoying this at all. But fortunately, Ben had already out-leveled me, so he was able to come across and... Uh, how many times did you play the bosses before you ended up hitting me up though well um with the first one it was only three times but the same thing happened each time which was that i got right to the end and well with the first boss to be fair this didn't happen but with the second boss i got their health bar down to zero and then died and that happened two or three times where it's like i can physically see that the health bar is at zero but i keep getting booted out and I don't think it was a bug, to be fair, because I'd noticed it with not just bosses, but with other enemies. When their life bar goes down to zero, it takes a little bit of time for them to die after. It's server lag, isn't it? Down to zero, especially for me as well, because I might as well mention this might be interesting to people that I was playing the game on um, the GeForce Now service, which is a gaming streaming service. Um, So I was streaming the whole game on their servers, which was fun. And and it's an online game anyway. Mm. I mean, you can play it offline, but by default, it's an online game. Uh, yeah, so you're streaming it. So you're already streaming it from from kind of servers, uh, and so you have your ping time di- displayed in the top left corner. And actually, uh, that's worth mentioning because that was a little bit 
annoying. Not the seeing the ping time, but the fact it's online means there's this lag um, that, as you say, you encountered on bosses, but mm. not exclusively on bosses. And I would get spikes and lag all the time. And it just makes everything like janky on screen, doesn't it? Yeah. The, the thing I would say about bosses, like conceptually in this game, is that just coming from playing Sekiro, um, like we did in the last episode, and me waxing lyrical about how much I loved the bosses and that, and then for me to come to this game and, and say I hated the bosses seems a little bit hypocritical. So I feel like especially I just after trying myself. them only three times, yeah, um, or once in the case of the last boss. Oh, yeah, so I feel like I should just find myself on that. It's because the rest of the game is so easy. There's no point at which it tries to teach you about an event of that difficulty or yeah teach you or prepare you or make you think that this is what the game is about so there's just for me a little bit of an imbalance there between the bulk of the game and the little bits which are really really hard yeah that is true that is a point and i suppose it's not it, it, it there is some skill involved in the bosses for sure um but it felt like it was more about having chosen the right build for your character rather than uh twitch reflexes or you know muscle reflexes well, let's let's move on to build character builds and the kind of skilling mm, up mechanics. Yeah, it's a massive part of the game. Yeah, exactly. Because also, it's it's one of the areas of the game where it actually is quite original, isn't it? In comparison to a lot of others, it's cool. Yeah. So there's multiple ways. So when when you launch the game, you start by customizing your character in a quite a conventional way. You can change its appearance. Uh, you can choose your class. Although it does tell you straight up front, it's quite irrelevant what you're choosing. Because once you start playing, it depends on where you put your skill points and all that kind of stuff. I, I actually chose, I can't remember what they're called, but like a ranger class or like a bowman or something that uses a bow and arrow. Mm. <laughs> and uh, once I actually started playing the game, I realized range really wasn't working out for me because everything was just running straight at me and mitigating my range immediately. So instead, I just switched to a melee class and I ended up playing kind of as a rogue. Um, so they tell you that straight up front. There's, there are some <laughs> customization points which are just comical. Like you can change individual eye colour. Yeah, that's Which really is funny. so absurd. <laughs> you can't even see, you can hardly see the like broader features of your character's model. I mean, that's mm. a bit harsh. You can obviously, you can see an overall depiction. It's good artwork. But um, you, can't, you certainly can't see little features like the colour no, of your you're, eyes. You're really far above your character. <laughs> and there's that whole dressing room like screen where you can buy different bits of clothing that you've unlocked for your character. It feels completely redundant. Haven't said that, I spent yeah. quite a lot of time in that screen, but still. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I just used it to remove all the clothes from my female character and then carry on playing. Yes, you did. <laughs> That was mainly just for your reaction, though, Teo, for when we played Yeah, you love baiting me with jokes like that, don't you? <laughs> okay, so the actual, the actual clever um, skill element comes from this, I don't know what they call it, like a star chart or a star wheel or something. It's kind of like a yeah. galaxy of skill points, isn't it? It is, yeah. There's three wheels. Three or two? Three. Uh, three, yeah. And they can all move round so that the way in which you progress outwards... Uh, depends on how you move the wheels but once once they're moved they're kind of locked in i mean once you've moved between them they're locked in 
but it just means that there's many combinations. I mean, many is almost an understatement because in a lot of in a lot of games, you get three skill trees, and you kind of you have to unlock the first item of each skill tree. Uh, that unlocks the next two or the next three, and yeah. you kind of progress through the tree in that kind of conventional manner. This is chaos. Mm. It's like you can start entering one galaxy, then decide you want to enter mm. a different galaxy, then rotate the wheel and enter a third. You know, there are a ton of skill- to the point that um, I've seen people. I should say I've I've spent about 65 to 70 hours in this game. I've really enjoyed it. So as a result of that, I've I've been reading about it a lot online and looking on communities about how other people are doing different things and what builds people are using and all that kind of stuff, Um, which is always a fun part of a game as well. And yeah, one of the things people are asking for, one of the features is a search bar in that because there are so many trees that like if you're looking for one particular thing that you want to improve your character on, it takes ages of just hovering over the skill button to see what it does to actually determine if you want to buy that skill or not. Yeah, I went for, well, it sounds like the same as you, but I went for an idea of the type of character that I wanted to be and chose those stats and went through the skill tree with with that idea of my character in mind what was your character which was a, a mage class like caster focusing on max critical hit and what else did i focus on max force shield maybe you surprised me Teo, because you never play casters normally <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, and you never play rogues either <laughs> <laughs> we knew me and ben knew exactly even though we didn't talk to each other about the game as well we played a little bit online but um we try not to talk about the games. We still knew exactly which kind of class each other would choose. Yeah. Been playing games together too long. Not long enough, mate. But you could see how people um, would be able to experiment with that with those skills trees and for the possibilities just to be too many for the mind to comprehend, really. Yeah, for sure. I think one of the things it does really well is introduce a lot of skills that overlap so for instance if you're playing more of a kind of battle mage for instance who is doing a lot of physical meleeing Mm. and that kind of stuff but is also casting there are a lot that a lot of skills that cater to that in the same way as if you're exclusive like when i was playing rogue um initially i was just going full-on crit dps whacking them up and then i got to a point where even though my damage output was insane if i got hit even kind of once or twice i was basically dead because i hadn't put anything into my health or my force shield or any of these kind of skills and so at that point i realized i was no way going to be able to take on harder bosses and i just pivoted to dodge and straight away i started looking at every skill tree that featured any kind of passive dodge ramped them all up and by you know by the time i was well, currently, I've got a dodge rate of like more than 65%. And yeah. I'm never hit when I'm playing a battle. And that's great that you can really tailor your character to your playstyle. Kind of inspired by your build, actually, I um, I tried to do a similar thing with Life Leech. So that however much damage I did, it would regenerate my force shield that much. Didn't Don't think it worked quite as well as yours because some things would just hit me and kill me in one shot. Um, but for the little enemies, it worked quite well. But they were already really easy, so... <laughs> yeah, but that's good. Like, like, Life Leech is genius in the way it complements damage output because, obviously, it's giving you a percentage of the damage that you do back. Mm. Um, so if your damage output is insanely high, then you don't even need that high Life Leech to really recover health pretty fast. The problem with it is that it, it only recovers health on a health tick, what they call, like, a tick, where it's, like, your health increases per second or something like that so it's not continuous Mm. um so like we've heard about how much you enjoyed the game now would probably be a good time to reveal that i didn't enjoy it very much 
I know that you didn't because you took forever to play it, mate. You absolutely took ages. That is just because I'm quite busy. Uh, that's a fair point. I think if I'd been enjoying it more than I would have, I would have just been more addicted to playing it. Like I thought, I felt like you were quite addicted to playing it. Yeah, I was really getting a kick out of it. Whereas I didn't, just didn't hit, didn't hit for me in that way at all. I never felt compelled to play it. I felt like it was a really chill game. I felt very chilled out when I was playing it and relaxed and enjoyed holding my mouse button down and walking until I saw some enemies and then holding the other mouse button down and watching all the enemies die and then holding the other mouse button down and walking. But that was the main problem for me is just there wasn't enough interaction there until you got to the boss and then it was too difficult. <laughs> I totally get that, but I suppose that is just the nature of the genre of game. If you consider any Diablo game, there's never that much of a challenge. It's quite funny actually because I remember talking in Sekiro and saying that I liked to have a character that felt godlike. I thought that and as I well. immediately felt godlike in this game. Mm. And while I was working through it, everyone was just melting before me. <laughs> it was like an awesome feeling. Um, but yeah, I can totally see that at the same time that kind of novelty wears thin really fast and that's kind of what I meant at the very beginning when after you gave your description when I said you know you can keep playing for as long as it appeals to you Mm. and that appeal wears thin really fast not that fast though you've sunk a lot of hours into it and presumably they were they were good and enjoyable hours and I remember sinking a similar amount of hours into um, Diablo 3 when it came out not again probably not as many hours as you actually but um, I remember really enjoying that game and feeling like it was magical and awesome when it came out. I couldn't wait to play it. And the first act of this, of Walson, similar feeling, but just wore thin for me pretty quickly. I don't know if it's just where I am at this moment in time or... I think it might be. Whether there was like a little piece missing of the game. Like we've already talked about um, there being too many pieces of equipment, which felt redundant. Mm. When I got a new thing, I never felt like that rush of excitement that it was something special. Actually... Um, even though I, I've said I did love it and I, I stand by that, at the same time, I do also recognise all these things you're saying as problems. And especially when I got to the end game and essentially your story mode ends at that point, you finish the final boss, uh, the game kind of reboots and you're in what's called a champion of Stormwall mode. At that point, you're, you've kind of got your city and it's quite this, it's quite a strange dynamic actually where you get to build projects, but the, you're never actually building them. Yeah. Um, you're just kind of clicking a button that says build it. Then you go fight a dungeon, you get given some productivity back and that like adds progress to whatever project you started. And the idea is that you can get extra loot or you can get extra gold or you can unlock game features that they've kept locked from you like a fifth skill button and that kind of stuff or unlocking more inventory tabs and that kind of thing but in practice at that point i really started to <laughs> question what value the game was giving me mm. it yeah because the the value of the game is it's an interesting question with games generally and one which we've t- touched on a bunch on this podcast already is that the value here is that you're having fun i suppose but then there always has to be that little extra bit which makes it seem worthwhile. And usually it's just a trick, like it's just a game. But some some games make you feel like it's more significant than it is. And I, I it's like a special source, which I don't know quite how they how they capture it, but some games have it and some games don't. Well, it's usually a facet of the game, I would say. So for instance, um, 
God, I've already forgotten its name. Disco Elysium mm-hmm. um, had an incredible story, like mm. just an amazing story. And it was brilliantly well written. Yeah. And, you know, like we said at the time, we could have plugged t- tens more hours into that, really. If the writing quality had maintained that standard, we'd have still been hooked. Whereas with this game, we actually haven't mentioned it yet, but I would say the real, the real impressive value to it is actually the art. I think the the vistas as you're working through it are just so beautiful. Some of the areas are mm. just really, really well drawn. Landscapes that they've really well developed. And they get a little bit tired by the end of the game. That's true. But to begin with, I remember every new area I went into being like, wow, like the level of detail in this design is so impressive. But the problem is that can only sustain a game for so long because then you're just looking at pictures. And once you've seen the pictures and you've got accustomed to the style, that wears thin again. It's a good point. The... Um especially for that genre of game as well, which isn't really known for having like ep- epic environments. They can usually seem quite flat because you're looking at your character from above um, and it's just little little pieces moving around on the screen. But every now and again in the, in the story, you'll come up to a checkpoint and like Ben said, you'll look over the edge of a cliff and there'll be like a huge um, set piece for you to look at. And yeah, it's fair play the, the effort they put into those for sure. But I also do agree in the sense that by the time I was at the end, like I've it, weirdly, I I still do dip into it because it, I think for the reason that you gave before, where it's quite a chill game, like it's quite zen, um, so you can just kind of tune out, zone out to it, and that's the value now for me is that I can spend kind of forty five minutes in it if I just want to unwind to a game and not really have to think. I guess in the same way as some people watch trash TV, but I mean that's not got longevity. Do you know what I mean? I w- I, w- I wouldn't be able to to rave about it i wonder if they really wanted the multiplayer aspect to give it more game value what do you think of that um well i mean we played some multiplayer so we can talk about that not very well though because we're on other sides of the world (laughs) yeah i suppose a game is instantly more fun when you're playing it with someone else like it almost doesn't matter what the game is it's doing something with someone else that's fun and the game is just a subplot to that no that's true for sure i thought it worked it worked well when we played like it, it was fun we had a good chat that one session we played for about three hours, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, that was good. Was that the one when we were on mic? We actually recorded a little bit on mic. I yeah. don't know whether we'll be oh, able to you... drop it in <laughs> yeah. because I haven't listened back and we recorded edit it in so a, ed- long. Edit in a few snippets. There were a few funny things we say. Sometimes we're funny. Except I remember at one point saying, oh, we should definitely include that bit. And you said, I already stopped recording. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah, I think is becoming a theme. Moments before you were like, that's definitely enough now. We don't want it to be too long. <laughs> and then we come out with the gold. Yeah. <laughs> Player two has entered the game. When you go up, player two has left the game. Some content missing. Some content missing. The reference you made to Trash TV I thought was good because that is exactly the same comparison I made. And I'd also goes far to far as to make a comparison with games like Candy Crush Saga. And I thought you might find that controversial because I know how much you hate that game. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, what, mobile phone style games where you dip in, dip out, and they just get you doing a repetitive activity. Yeah, like a really small cognitive load, shiny things happening on the screen. So I thought there was like a bit of a parallel there. Yeah, I mean... As much as I hate to admit it, I am seeing the parallel. <laughs> but it is, but it is, uh, but it is slightly more than like watching Friends for the fiftieth time. 
so you know and and, and I, this isn't I'm, I'm not looking down on people that watch friends or play candy crush saga like they have their place just like walson does but i do think there are yeah can we not put friends in the same bag as candy crush saga I love a good sesh of friends, yeah, me but too. Candy Crush, man alive, that could be purged from the face of the, wor- the world, the earth. I just, I just feel like they, they feel, uh, they fulfil a similar role, um, which is, which is a fine role, but you know, it, it is, it is that thing. Mm. So there are a couple of uh, little aspects to the game that we didn't mention, like aspects. <laughs> Yeah. Um, which are, which is basically a kind of secondary form that your character has where you mutate into this sort of good demon and you've got four or five different aspects you can mutate into, although you have to unlock them one by one and you basically transform into a, into a demon yourself and fight other demons. What did you think of that as a feature? Because I thought it was totally pointless. Uh, yeah, really, really tacked on. I just felt like they'd it was just one one feature too many or wow not so underdeveloped as well like what you turn into the mode even the hotkeys change like they move to the other side of the screen they're not in the same place Mm. it doesn't last for very long so basically you kill stuff to build up your aspect meter so that you can transform which in and of itself just doesn't really make any sense thematically and then once you use your aspect obviously your meter depletes while you're doing it and then you get these shrines that will also top up your meter. And it just, the whole thing was just kind of, what is going on with this? <laughs> I feel different. How is it that I can use witchcraft now? None of this makes sense. I didn't actually, like you say, it was really, well, it was really tacked on. Um, but I also didn't respect what they were trying to do with that. Because there wasn't any decisions to be made with that form like you had the five events you'd unlock the five and they all did a different thing and they'd always be the same is that correct yeah so it was just like a little button you could press to become invulnerable and do a bit more damage for about 15 seconds and then back again yeah the main advantage of it was that you become invulnerable so like the number of times it saved my life was amazing Mm. Um, every time a boss was just about to kill me you you know you could basically use it as a as a life-saving role but other than that, yeah, agreed. And it never scaled up. I think they received quite a lot of criticism for this because they've tried to patch it differently in the last couple of patches. But even so, I still think it's it's ropey. Some of the other mechanics are like you get ethereal reagents where you get these drops that will change the <laughs> yeah. magical properties of an item. <laughs> so we've already talked about how com- how complex the, the stats are and how many of the different stats there are. And then that's just another bit into that pot is that you can change one aspect of the magical statistic on each item by applying a, a ethereal reagent to it something along those lines but it's at random but it's, it's at, at random, random. so, so it's useless because it. there's no way of anticipating it and they're really and they're like quite rare so they're the so way the game rare. gives them to you is like ooh, ethereal reagent and mm. the actual reaction is okay well that was useless i'll still sell that item <laughs> mm. It's the the gems I found quite funny as well because like many role playing games, it has gems which you can attach to sockets on your items to give them different bonuses. But for for maximum adaptability or choices, or however you want to say it, each gem has nine different things that it could do depending on the socket that it's put in. And it's just hilarious to see that list of nine things all, all in a row, and for there to be no real like connection between them, it's just 
choice for the sake of choice or complication for yeah. the sake of complication. Not quite just for the sake of complication. Like it does make it a little bit of an interesting decision to like go through the gems and see which ones you want and stuff. But having it all there in one place is yeah, I thought quite funny. While you're on gems though, that's um one of the things that you introduced to me as I was playing through the game was I knew that you could obviously re roll a gem socket on an item. Um, but you discovered that you can re-roll gem sockets on items that don't have gems and produce gem sockets when there weren't any. Yeah, well, that uh, that kind of defeated the point in the randomness to me because you because money is trivial when you get to the end of the game and every item has the chance to have certain gem sockets on it. But in reality, it has the chance to have all the gem sockets on them pretty much as long as you keep re-rolling them for long enough. Yeah. Like maybe one will have three where another one will have two, but like... You keep re-rolling until you get the number you want, and then you put the gem in it that you want. Simple. Simples. It was also an inconsistent game design feature, though, because sometimes when you put an item that didn't have sockets into the gem mistress, or whatever she's called, <laughs> um, and she would re-roll the gem socket, she would say, this item doesn't even have gems. You can't roll uh, item sockets on an item without gems. Hmm. And other times you'd put in an item without gems, and she would just roll them. Ah, so you wish to harness the secret power of gems. There was no consistency whatsoever. Um, and that's kind of like a hidden feature almost. And I, th- I felt like it was a bug, but maybe it is just a feature. I'm not sure. I think that's just because the user interface is a little bit ropey, so it's not it's not immediately clear. I mean, you, you're you're saying I taught you about the gem thing. You taught me that I could spin the talent tree wheels, which I hadn't even realised. I thought something was going on there, like I hadn't figured it I out. Mean, that is a massive game feature. I, to be honest, I that think you're just a bit on. slow on the uptake on that because that's pretty obvious if you look at the screen. You were so taken by the sparkly skills, you just didn't look to the left-hand side of the screen where there's a really clear instruction. A little bit of instruction. The arrows, the buttons are pretty small. Maybe you've got a bigger screen than me. No, I don't think so. Um, The other thing so frustrating is the size of the inventory is tiny. We already commented on how much loot you get in this game. And it kind of gives you, um, a bit like in Hearthstone, you have your home... What was that called, actually? In, it's half not stone, in half yeah. stone. Oh, No, it's a half stone. Yeah, yeah. In World of Warcraft, you have a half stone. Half stone, takes the you... card game named after Hearthstone, the Hearthstone. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in World of Warcraft, you have the half stone that takes you back to base, and then you know you can do whatever. In the same, in this, you have like a teleport button that teleports you back to base, and then creates a portal so you can go exactly back to where you just were, which is a useful feature for sure. Not this and that at all. Except you wouldn't need to use that anywhere near as frequently if it just gave you a bigger inventory, especially considering how much loot it throws at you. Yeah, and that was obviously the um, the funny cycle that I was uh, alluding to in my script, which is the kind of kill some things, get some loot, teleport back to town, sell it to the blacksmith, go back, get some more loot, sell it to the blacksmith. Because it's completely contrived. Like, you could take that out and it would be... I don't know. Although, you know, I did like going back to town. It actually changed the town as you went through the game, which I thought was quite a nice touch. The city got more... Yeah, but none of the people in it do. Ah, but did you have a walk around in Act 3? There's loads of conversations that are happening. Yeah, but... Just by... um, just by the side of the road. Irrelevant ambience. In their regional accents. <laughs> well, I suppose ambience is never irrelevant, actually. That's a bit harsh. Um, yeah, in their regional accents. Yeah, you were waxing lyrical about the Vistas a minute ago, but now you're saying it's irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. 
again, like we haven't we haven't talked about spoilers, but that's because pretty much the same as the last game. It's not nothing in this game is really a spoiler. Nothing takes you by surprise. The twists are uh, telegraphed, hackneyed. Yeah, yeah, telegraphed and hackneyed, and you kind of see them coming from miles away. Um, what else? That's it, really. The end game mode, like we said, a bit disappointing. I still think the operation of the game is a bit clunky. Like the way between acts, it boots you back to the main Wilson title screen. When that first happened, I was so disconcerted. I thought I'd been disconnected Ooh, or something. You hate being booted back to the title screen. We know that. <laughs> well, it's just it's just so unnecessary. I don't understand why... Like, a game is meant to be an immersive experience. How counter to that is the idea that when you do something it just throws you back to a screen that has nothing to do with the gaming world i was reading on a game development forum the other day about a person just starting out making a game and he'd asked for some advice and then he came back and he posted and he was like oh i'm really pleased i've made myself a title screen now and now i've just got to make the game and i was thinking why are you making the title screen first what a strange decision Yeah, I mean, a title screen is like on a website when it has a splash screen. Mm. Where, do you remember there was a real phase in the, I'm not sure if it was late 90s or early noughties, but it was one of them where basically you'd go to a website and it would like have this cool graphic and then it would say, click to enter. And you're like, I just visited the website. Can't you just <laughs> load the website? Why do I have to click to enter it? Um, that's kind of what this is like. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's true. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with At you. At least it lets you quit the game from the game, though. You don't have to back to the title. <laughs> I mean, better than bloody Sekiro. <laughs> One of my main wrap-up points with, with Walser, if we're thinking about wrapping up, was really the balance between the significant decisions in the game and the incremental improvements. And it was that balance which I felt like was a little bit off. Like, I love optimising my stats on my player character as much as the next person. But um, but with this, it never felt significant enough or, or meaty enough to to just to justify the the investment that I was putting into the game. But I did mm. love, I did really like the story and thought it was funny and entertaining. So I I did enjoy it all the same. I think also maybe if if the bosses were balanced a bit better, so you could like for instance, if you'd have just smashed through the game when you got to the end of the bosses, you kind of just whack them out of the way moved on like diablo then introduces its next game mode which is like incrementally harder mm. and then it's actually worth powering up and worth getting all those incredible abilities because you're, you're really going to need them on the next playthrough um whereas with this that kind of just fizzles out you get incredibly godlike quite early <laughs> once you've beaten the bosses there's no real incentive to keep gearing up and skilling up mm. so yeah I, I agree with you on that front but it sounds like you had a really uh, good time getting involved with the meta game and reading about community strategies and all those sorts of things which which i know myself can be really entertaining things yeah to some extent mainly it was just i was loving making my character as untouchable as possible having that dodge rate because i had another skill whereby <laughs> not only did i have a 65 percent dodge rate but if i did get hit then my dodge rate would flick up to 100% briefly, which which always, and because I had life leech as well, that always meant I had time to recover my health before I next took a hit. Um, so the only times when I could really die is if I got hit and it was a crit hit, and then I would get buggered because my health wasn't that great. But for the most part, that was fine. And the game has this other feature that when you die, you actually get kind of three life-saving rolls. So you die and you can... Three lives. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a much simpler way of saying it. You have three lives, Super Mario style. (laughs) 
one thing, and we might just drop this off the podcast, to be honest, but I figured I should probably raise it. Go on. Is this a step back for women in games? Their presentation in this game? I don't think it was particularly egregious, did you? I did think it was weird that your character had is probably the most buxom character that's existed in a game since Tomb Raider 2. And we mentioned customising your character's clothing. You can literally customise it to remove all clothing except for like a bra and a thong. And if you're a female character, your character's permanently in high heels. Mm. <laughs> so she's running around the game, destroying stuff. Yeah. You know, I mean, to be honest, like I'm saying, like I said, I wasn't sure whether to raise it because I actually enjoyed it. I thought it was amusing. It was entertaining. It kind of plays into its own hamminess and how silly it is. And that is the genre. Like that is the genre of game. So kind of, I was fine with it. But at the same time, I thought it's worth mentioning because there will be a lot of people who I don't think will be fine for it with it. That is totally a fair point. I mean, um, female character models in games have always been not the best. And I can't see that changing anytime soon, despite there being like quite a lot of pressure these days. But I don't think that's the case. I think female characters have changed massively, even in the last kind of five to ten years. And in general, I would say that gaming these days, like, often gives you the choice of playing both often has a female lead will often have like female villains female mm. heroes all, all of that kind of stuff in a way that previously it was really male dominated so i do think it's changed but i would say this game that's why i asked if it's a step back because it feels like this was something from the late 90s to, to say step back i mean like some games have made a step forward and a lot haven't changed and it's the same with like, a lot of aspects of culture in general i think so I don't know, I think it's maybe a bit broad to say this is a step back. It's just like, this is another game which has not taken a step forward, mm. I think. Yeah. Um, and like, not to be pessimistic about the future, I just think that if you're a socially conscious gamer, you are always going to have to have that caveat of like, while playing a game or showing a game to people that haven't played many where you're like, sorry about this. <laughs> uh, yeah. I didn't make it. I, I I can see that this is rubbish, but I still enjoy the game. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, it's where games like Oblivion and the other Elder Scrolls games and games like them kind of come into their own in that you can kind of adjust every feature of your character to, like, everything from height to chest size to build. Are they massive? Are they slim? And then if you're one of the gamers who wants to craft yourself this kind of like female <laughs> icon or whatever, you could. But equally, if you're someone who just wants to play a normal... I mean, t to be honest, I actually tend to skip those a lot. I used to spend a lot of time really customising my character. But these days, I just kind of feel like it's just a time sink and doesn't really add that much to the game. I don't know whether that's a controversial opinion or not. Yeah, I don't know. I was surprised we um, we both played the game as women, actually. What's going on there? <laughs> Something Freudian, probably. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> All right. So next up, Teo, what's, what's our next game? Uh, so we're playing Half-Life Black Mesa, which is the recently released, I'm going to say fan remake of Half-Life 1. Yeah, but it's Valve approved. Mm. And it's in Source Engine. Yeah. Uh, but is that the same engine that Half-Life 2 was made in? It's the same engine that Half-Life 2 was made in, but I think it's been updated since Half-Life 2 was made. So it's a, a, a nostalgic trip into the past, but with a new skin. Yeah, exactly. But I don't think it's called Half-Life Black Mesa, to be clear. It's, it's just called just Black called Mesa. Black Mesa, yeah. Okay, good. We're, we're playing a game without a, without a colon in it for once. Yeah. 
but also because um that's a good point but also because uh it they've actually augmented the game a little bit as far as i understand it so it's not the original half-life remade that it's the original half-life with a couple of extra levels uh yeah specifically on the zen home world but let's talk about that next time yeah yeah let's talk about it next time i'm really looking forward to it because uh a bit of an admission i never completed the original half-life no way yeah i got about two-thirds of the way through this is becoming a bit of a um a recurring pattern with me in playing games isn't it <laughs> you're definitely not a completionist how many achievements do you get yeah I, de- yeah I don't even look at those it's true i'm not a completionist well speaking of completionism that's us and completion full stop thanks very much for listening everybody see you again next time you've unlocked the 100 percent completion of episode whatever number we're on of pixel vision four <laughs> for uh see you later how was that yeah that was good i think my accent was a bit what i was like i think mine was as well i started really (laughs) shrill and ended up totally different